We're going to read a familiar verse and stand up and make our declaration this morning. Proverbs chapter 18. And we're going to read verse 21. Proverbs 18, 21, the Bible says here, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, what we sometimes tend to forget is the power of our words and how important our words are. In our life and the impact our words have over our present and over our future. The Bible tells us here death and life are in the power of the tongue. They are in the power of the words we speak. That's why the words we speak are very important. Now sometimes people say why do you make people stand up and say this is God's word. This is, you know aren't you following another religious tradition. No, 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 no. We are training people to understand the importance of words. Amen. You come to church every Sunday morning. You get trained. You get trained in the things of God. And one of the things that we need to be trained is to understand that our words have impact. Our words are important. And we must learn to speak words that give life. Words that bring you up, not put you down. Words that cause and create victory in your life and triumph and health and healing and blessing. Rather than speaking words that doom you to defeat and failure, learn to speak words of strength and success. Amen? So that's why every Sunday morning we get people up, get people to stand up, hold the Bibles high up, and make our declaration. Amen? So let's do that this morning. Let's stand up to our feet. Let's hold the Bibles high up in the air. Knowing that life and death are in the power of the tongue. God said it. We believe it. We will act on it. Amen. So hold your Bibles high up in the air. Say this out loud with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved. Healed, delivered, redeemed, I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Give a good handshake to the person sitting next to you, and uh, you may be seated. I was just reminded that we haven't received a morning's offering. All right, so let's uh, receive a morning's offering. I call the ushers to go ahead and just wait upon people. Please feel free to give this morning as God has enabled you and prospered you. Let's honor God with our tithes and our offerings and our finances. And let's pray as we do that. Father, this morning, even as we give, we give to honor you, knowing, God, that whatever we have has come from you. Father, we thank you for the money you've placed in our hands and the resources you've placed in our hands. We give, Father, so that it can be used for the extension of your kingdom, so it can be used to bring honor and glory to your name on this earth. And we thank you for blessing the seeds we sow 
and multiplying it back into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're in that time of the year when we think about Christmas. We talk about Christmas. We talk about the fact that God became man. And uh, I firmly believe that the incarnation is for transformation. The reason the God of heaven became a man on earth is so that he could take men and women like you and me and change us into the likeness and image of God himself. Amen? So the, the purpose of the incarnation is for the transformation of people like you and me. Jesus came to the earth as a man in incarnation so that he could take people like you and me, change us, recreate us in the image and the likeness of God, which was God's original intent and God's original plan. And as we look at the whole story of Christmas, we must look behind the scenes. Turn to your neighbor and say, see behind the scenes. Look beyond the baby in the manger. Look beyond the shepherds who came to see Jesus. Look beyond the heavenly hosts who sang that the God of glory was born on the earth. We need to see behind the scenes. We need to look past this and understand the message or the messages that God Almighty is speaking to you and me through the incarnation. And that's one of the things we want to do this morning. We want to go to one of the most important passages that unveiled to us the behind-the-scenes meaning of the Incarnation. If you will, please go with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And we are going to see behind the scenes one of the messages of the Incarnation. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We're going to look at this message and then we're going to apply it into our lives. What can we learn from it? What can we do with it in our lives? Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 onwards. Please follow with me in your Bibles. I encourage you when you come to the house of God, bring your Bibles with you. Amen. Look at your neighbor, see if they brought the Bible. <laughs> bring your Bibles with you. Bring your pen and notebook with you. Amen. Because we don't remember everything we heard. In a 45 minute or sometimes a 1 hour 15 minutes <laughs> message. So I encourage you to bring your Bibles, bring your pen, your notebook. And you come to the house of God for the matter. Any service that you go to, any meeting you go to where you're expecting God to speak. If you don't expect God to speak, it's okay. But if you're expecting God to speak to you, bring your Bibles with you. Amen. Bring your pen and notebook with you. Take down notes so that you remember what the Lord has spoken. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 onwards. Paul writes, he says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross therefore everybody say therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul the Apostle writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he first brings an exhortation to the believers, the Christians. He says, you know, don't do anything out of selfish ambition and, and don't just look to your own needs and your own interests, but also be concerned about the interests of others. And then suddenly he says, well, let's just look at Jesus. Let's just look at Jesus. Think about Jesus. Verse 6 he says, though he was God, and though he had all the power and the authority and the glory of the deity, he was omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. He was God. He said, though he was God, he didn't think of it robbery or think of it as something to be tightly held on to. He didn't think of it as something he should just hold on to. But instead, he says, he, hum he emptied himself. Of everything that made him God. And became a servant. And as a servant he went a step further. He humbled himself. And he did the greatest act of service. Now how do you identify a servant? By what they serve. By their service. A servant serves. That's what makes the servant a servant. So Jesus became a servant and he did the greatest act of service. He gave his life up to serve the purpose of God and for you and me. So Paul says, look at the incarnation. What a message. The God of glory. He could have held on to his position. He could have held on to everything that made him God. But he emptied himself of that. He became a servant. He humbled himself and gave the greatest act of service. And then he turns around to you and me and he says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you. Which was in Jesus. Meaning, you take on the same mindset. One translation says, Let this frame of mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Let this attitude be in you. Let this disposition be in you. Let this perspective of things be in you. You begin to look at things the same way Jesus looked at things. What was it? Though he had all reason to hold on to his position of power and authority and glory, he emptied himself. He chose not to hold on to it. But he became a servant and then he served. And he tells you and me, let's also have the same attitude, the same mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus. Amen. So turn out to your neighbor and say, let this mind be in you.
which was also in Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus. And I believe that as Christians, as God's people, one of the strongest messages of the incarnation is right here. That God is saying, Listen, look behind the scenes. Look behind the manger. Look behind the look beyond, past the baby in that little cradle. Look past the angels and look past the shepherds. And as wonderful as all of this is, here's the message I want to get across to you and me. God is saying, I want you people to have the same mindset. That if God, if the God of glory could give up what he had and become a servant and then serve with humility. I want my people to do the same thing. Amen. So this morning, I just want to title my message as Sowing Seeds of Service. Sowing Seeds of Service. God is calling you and me to become a servant. And then with humility, perform service. Sow seeds of service. To do that, we must learn to empty ourselves, meaning let go of whatever we hold on to and become a servant. And then go further, go beyond that to humble ourselves and serve because a servant always serves. You cannot say you're a servant if you don't serve. You can't say I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and you do no works of service. Because the only way I can identify you as a servant of Jesus Christ is when you do works of service. Because a servant serves. Amen? And then verse 9 says, Therefore God highly exalted him. Because of what he did, he emptied himself, he became a servant, he humbled himself, and he served. Therefore God as highly exalted him. In the kingdom of God, we must always step down if we want to step up. Amen. In the kingdom of God, when you walk down the road of humility, then God lifts you up by crowning you with honor from heaven. This is how the kingdom of God works. When we walk down the road of humility, honor Amen. Now I want to spend the rest of my time this morning just talking about the application of this message. So tell and turn around to your neighbor and say, get ready, it's going to be hot. The application part is usually the part we don't like. Why? It's nice to hear theology, but when we say, listen, you've got to do something about it, that's when it gets a little tense. But spend the rest of our time talking about the application of this message. So God has given us a message this Christmas season in the incarnation, he says, here's the challenge I want to put to you, my people. Let this mind be in you, which is in Jesus Christ. Take on the same mindset. Live like this. Don't hold on to your right, your position, your title, your office, your privileges, your rights. But choose to let go. Become a servant. And you serve. Then I'll honor you from heaven amen I realize that we have uh, 
various groups of people here. We have teens and 20s. We have husbands and wives. We have working people. We have business owners. All kinds of people sitting here this morning. And so I want to take some time to show us the application of this message across this whole section of people we have here present present here this morning. So let's talk to the teens and 20s. Teens and 20s, wave at me. Teenagers. Oh, okay. How do we apply this? You apply this message. I'm a little outside that category. So how do teens and 20s, how do you apply this message of Christmas? That if I have rights, things I want to hold on to, yet I can let go of it, humble myself, become a servant in that situation, and provide works of service, sow seeds of service. And if I do that, then God in heaven is going to grace my life with honor from above. How can I apply this message? You can do it at home. Good place to begin, amen? Thank you, parents. <laughs> you can sow seeds of service at home towards your parents. Amen. If you're a teenager, you say, well, I've grown up now. I don't need my diaper changed. I can make my own breakfast, some of us, some of you. Sorry. I still think teens and 20s. I'm not there. <laughs> And I want my space. I have a right to my space. I have a right to my room. Here's the door. This is my room. This is my space. This is my time. Yes, you have a right to it. You're a teenager. You're a 20-year-old. You've grown up. You do have a right to your time. You have a right to making some of the decisions that you can make. But yet you choose to follow the example of Jesus. You choose to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ at home. And you choose to empty yourself of those rights and become a servant at home and do seeds of service or sow seeds of service or do deeds or acts or works of service towards your parents. It's a choice you make. You don't have to. It's a choice you make. Let me just share some things from my own personal example, not to make you feel bad, but just to let you know, hey, I did it. I'm not preaching something I didn't do. From the time I was about 14 till the time just before my 18th birthday when I left home to go to college, every morning, or almost every morning, maybe I missed a few days here and there, but I'd get up around 5.30 or so. Or before that. But I would, around 5.30, I'd make tea for my parents. Amen. I think my father's here. You can verify after service. I'm making up stories. I put some tea in a flask and keep it on my table, on the, on the uh, dinner table, so that after my father comes back from work, he can have hot tea. After his walk and exercise, he come and can have hot tea. I take a cup of tea to my mother by her bedside and give it to her. 
So as soon as she wakes up, she can have a hot cup of tea. It didn't cost me anything. Just 15 minutes of my time. But it was a seed of service that I could sow to my parents. And I did it till I had to leave home and go to college. There's also some part, sometime during that period when my dad asked me to iron his shirt and pants in the mornings. So many times. And I would say, please iron. Now I could have said, well, you know, you can iron it yourself. Send it to the dobi. Whatever. So he went to the dobi, came back, but he needed the creases taken off and all of that. But for me, I saw it as a way, an opportunity to honor my parents. It's a small thing. I have to admit, there were some mornings when it was just the wrong time. The timing was wrong. I wanted to do something, but I would hear my dad call my name. Please, Iron. Oh, wrong time. Not now. But yet I chose to do it. My dad's here, you can ask him. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. They're not asking you to do anything wrong. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, for this is the first commandment that comes with the promise of blessing. You will have long life and peace, and it will be well with you on the earth. So teenage, teenagers and 20s, you will never pass through life again. But this is your opportunity to sow some seeds of honor towards your parents. To sow some seeds of service towards your parents. So that in the days to come when you step into your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. You can reap of those seeds. So what kind of fruit will I get? Peace. It will go well with you. Long life. Amen. So you can choose to apply this message at home, young people. Where you say, I have a right to my time, I have a right to my space. You do. But I choose to let go. I choose to become a servant in my home and provide seeds of service to my parents. And the God of glory will grace my life with honor from heaven. Amen. How about in the church? Young people, you can sow seeds of service in the church. There are a lot of things that need to be done in the house of God. You know, Sunday mornings, we don't come to have service. We come to do service. Amen. You can't have service if nobody's doing service. There are lots of people here. You know those curtains there, they don't go up there automatically. Every day, every Sunday, some of the young people have to come and put it up and take it down after the service. In the teens and 20s, you can do this. You can provide seeds of service. When people walk into the church Sunday morning, it'll be so great to see about 25 young people standing at the entrance, greeting people in. They'll want to come back. Amen. You can do this. We need people to help here. 
in setting up the things and making this auditorium look so much better. I mean, it's okay, but it can look better. Young people, you can do it. It doesn't cost you anything. Just a little bit of your time and, and effort. Now, you have a right to be in the mall. Amen? You have a right to do what you want to do with your time. But you choose to empty yourself of that. And you say, well, I choose to humble myself and be a servant in the house of God and do works of service for the house of God. So when people come here, when people walk in, there'll be 25 young people standing there with a big smile on their face, greeting them in, come. There'll be young people standing at the visitor's welcome at the information table. Now let me be honest with you, most of that work today is being done by the Bible college students. And it's very sad. Because we have about 100 or 150 young people who are not Bible college students who are not doing that work. And they should be doing it. I'll just be strong and honest with you. I want to see every teenager, every 20-year-old up and doing something in the house of God. These curtains shouldn't be done handled by the Bible college students. You teenagers must be doing it. The wisdom may welcome shouldn't be manned by Bible college students. I mean, it's good. We want to give them 20. But the remaining 100 and 150 teens and 20s in the church, they should be there at the visitor's welcome. They should be there greeting the people. They should be there in hospitality. They should be there doing this work, doing seeds of service in the house of God. Amen. I told you it was going to get hot. Amen. You say, but pastor, I do it on teens. I do it at Elevate. Wonderful, but elevate is something you're doing for yourself. How about doing it for the adults? Man, I want to see the teens and twenties serving the adults. The Bible says in First Peter chapter five and verse five. First Peter five and five. It says, Likewise, you younger people. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yet all of, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. You younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. You know, in our recent history, there used to be a time... When an, when an older person walked into the room, the younger person would stand up and give the older person that chair to sit. Somehow in history we've forgotten that. Today, I don't mean to be rude, but I need to tell you the truth. The truth hurts. Tell your neighbor the truth hurts. Today when an older person walks into the room, the teenager slumped on the chair, sometimes leg crossed. The thought even doesn't cross their minds. Maybe I should stand up and let the older person have my seat. We've lost something. Amen. You say, but why should I do it? Well, you don't have to, but you could take on the mind of Jesus. You say, but I came first to the room. Yes, you did come first to the room. You walked faster than the older person. But I have a right to my chair. Yes, you do have a right to that chair. 
But though you being a teenager, you don't think that chair has something to be held on to. But you become a servant to the older person. And you humble yourself and perform a work of service. And you say, please have my chair. I can stand. Younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. So pastor, you're old-fashioned. I'm not old-fashioned. I'm just being biblical. Amen. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. If you don't like what I'm saying, you don't like what the Bible says. The Bible says, youngers, submit yourselves to the elders. And so I want to see young people serve the adults. You know, when we have our events for the older people, when we have, for example, the marriage enrichment, it's for the older people. No, we need people to take care of the children, the kids, so that the older married couples could sit in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the event and enjoy the marriage enrichment. They could be taught on how to work on the marriage. You know, young people, you should be rushing to and saying, I will be there that day to take care of the kids that day. I will babysit. So, but pastor, it's so uncool. You know, Monday when I go to my college and my friend asks me, what did you do on Saturday? He said, I babysat 25 kids. How uncool is that? Listen, you want to be cool before the world or do you want to be red hot before God? Take your pick. Amen. You can say, God, I know it might be uncool before the world to be here this Saturday sitting and taking care of these 25 kids. But God, I'm letting go of something I have a right to. I'm choosing to be a servant and sow some seeds of service. And I know a day will come and you'll grace my life with honor from heaven. And my friends will stand amazed and say, how did you get it? I'll tell them by babysitting. (laughs) Amen. Why? Because I sowed some seeds of service for the older people. And the God in heaven graced my life with honor. And he lifted me up. Teens and twenties, I really want to challenge you. Take this mind that was in Jesus Christ. Let this mind, let this frame of mind, let this attitude be in you which was in Jesus. That though you have rights and you have positions and status and things that you want to hold on to, you choose to let it go. Become a servant. Humble yourself and sow seeds of service. The God God of heaven will grace your life with honor and lift you up. Amen. We'll leave them alone for a while. We'll move to the husbands and wives. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll read verses 18 to 22. How do I apply this message of Christmas as a husband or wife? Ephesians 5, 18 to 22. It says verse 18, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. 
You know, many times when we talk of marriage and husband-wife relationship, we always begin at verse 22. Wives, submit to yourselves. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord's. But here's the revelation. Verse 22 comes after verse 21. And verse 21 says, All of you submitting yourselves one to another. So before he said, Wives, submit to yourselves to your husbands, he also said, Husbands, submit yourselves to your wives. It's in verse 21. Just read it. Amen? All of you submit yourselves to one another. It includes husbands. Submit yourselves to your wives. So what do you mean? I am supposed to submit myself to my wife? Well, verse 21 says that. I'm not questioning the fact that the husband is the head of the wife and I'm not questioning the fact that the husband is to lead the home and be the leader and so on and so forth I'm not denying that but the Bible says all of us submit so that means husbands you have a choice you can hold on to that title I'm the head of the wife the only thing missing is my crown you can hold on to that title. You can hold on to that position. Or you can let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't think it's something to be held on to, but he became a servant. So you may be, the, you're the husband of the house. Yes, you're, the, you're the, the boss. You're the chief. You're the one wearing the crown. You're the one winning the money, bringing the bread to the house. You're everything. Yes, but you can choose to be a servant to your wife and your children. And humble yourself and do works of service. Amen. And the same thing goes for the wife. Weak wives can choose to have their own rights and demand their own rights. And yes, you have rights. And yes, you need your space and you need things done in a certain way and so on. But you can choose to let go of those rights. Become a servant towards your husband and your children. Humble yourself and provide works of service. Now in many cases, wives don't need to be told that because they are normally just doing it. I think we husbands need to learn. Take on the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in us. Even as it was in Jesus. That he, humbled, he became a servant. And humbled himself to do works of service. Let's talk to the professional people here this morning. You know as professionals. We face intense competition in the workplace. Many times we get into situations where you're head on with another colleague of yours or another, press, another team member of yours or whatever. Competition is intense. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. You have to be better than the other person if you're going to get the raise, if you're going to get the promotion. 
And in those situations, you can choose to apply this. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. You may be a team leader. You may be any person, any kind of position you may be holding in your professional work. And, but yet in a situation of conflict, you can choose to yield. So, but, Pastor, you don't understand. If I yield, my boss will think he's better than me. And my boss will give him the promotion. Sure, maybe your boss will give him the promotion. But there's somebody bigger than your boss. He's God. Your boss can promote your colleague only up to his position, the boss's position. But when God promotes you, he won't stop you at the level of your boss. He can take you past your boss. So which promotion do you want? The promotion that comes from your boss or the promotion that comes from God? Amen. The Bible said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, the meek will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, for they will inherit the earth. So in that workplace situation, Matthew 5, 5 still holds good. Amen. Jesus didn't say blessed are the meek in the monastery because they will inherit the earth when they get to eternity. He just said, blessed are the meek in the workplace, in the business world. You say, Matthew 5, 5 applies to the business world? I think so. Because he just said, blessed are the meek. But they will inherit the earth. They will possess the land. They will get the possession, which their boss can't give, but the God in heaven can give. Blessed are the meek. So in a situation of conflict in your place of work, what do you do? Yield. So yield. I mean, I should be like a loser? No. Be a servant. You still work as hard. You still give your best. You still be excellent in your work. You ensure productivity in your workplace. You do what you have to do. Do it well. Do it with all your heart. But just yield. Don't fight for your rights. Give it up. And say, God, I'll just be a servant in this situation. And I'll humble myself and just serve like a servant. Because I know that when I do this, you will grace my life with honor. Amen? You know, sometimes we have more confidence in our ability to assert ourselves than in yielding and trusting God to empower us to inherit the land. You say, God, I can take care of this. I'll assert myself in this situation. I will throw my weight around in this situation. Just leave it to me, God. I'll handle it. I know how to do it. And so we have more confidence in our ability to assert ourselves than in saying, God, I'll yield and I'll wait for you to exalt me. But as Christians, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, Jesus. 
Amen. And lastly, I just want to talk to leaders here. Business owners and leaders. I've been reading portions of this book, um, God is My CEO. An excellent book for business people, Christian business people. By Larry Julian. And in one of the chapters, he gives the story of Robert Nagel who was the CEO and founder of Rollerblade Company. I'll just summarize that story for you. Robert Nigel and his wife, Ellis, they had founded this Rollerblade Company, you know, the company that makes rollerblades. And uh, they had a very tough time between 1985 and 1995, Rollerblade Company. Now he had become a Christian and uh, the company was kind of just struggling the first 10 years. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They had found this very nice way of getting people to have fun and exercise you know, with rollerblades. And yet they were just struggling. And, and he, he says how one, one night he was awake and he was just getting so afraid, fearful and anxious about his business. And, and he just read Philippians 4, 6 where the Bible says, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but just pray. And so he cried out and he said, God, please help us. Nobody knows about rollerblades. Nobody knows we exist. God, please help us. And the, of course, they were operating in Minneapolis. And uh, two weeks later, after he prayed and cried out to God and said, God, help. Two weeks later, there was a football game. The Minnesota Vikings were playing the Chicago Bears on Monday Night Football. And during the week of the game on national television, the head coach of the Chicago Bears, he just made a comment on television. We are playing the Vikings at that roller dome up in Minneapolis. That's all. Just made a statement like that. And the story goes, the rest is history. Rollerblades marketing people jumped on it and rollerblade became a household word and overnight success. Just because the courts mentioned we're playing at Rollerdome. They took that up and marketed rollerblade and rollerblade became an overnight success. And so he saw his business just explode. And it came a time when he decided to sell. And upon selling 50% of Rollerblade to Nordica, an Italian ski boot manufacturer, Robert or Bob as he was called, he wanted to show his appreciation to Rollerblade's employees. And this was Christmas time of that year. So he and his wife sat down that Christmas time, just a weeks, few weeks before Christmas. And for all 280 employees of Rollerblades, they personally wrote checks that Christmas, which totaled in excess of $4 million. Some employees received checks of over $10,000 and some received $21,000 as gifts 
just prior to Christmas. So it's November, December of 1995. And this is what Bob, Bob says. He says, We tried to slip the rock into the pond by being quiet about our gift to the employees. What we found was that giving motivated by God creates a ripple effect that creates significant waves of joy. Letter after letter began to come back from their employees. And here's some of those letters that they received back when they decided to do this. One of their employees wrote, she said, I want to thank you from the bottom of my student. I want to thank you from the bottom of my student loans for remembering even an intern at Rollerblade. I was completely shocked, stunned, and overjoyed all at the same time. Another husband, wife, Jay and Kathy wrote and said, In order to express a heartfelt thanks for your gift, we have made a donation to our church's building fund debt. We have a lot to be thankful for. Another couple, John and Jane, wrote, Your gift was incredibly generous and has been placed in our son's name for his education. One day I will be able to tell Carson about my life with Rollerblade and specifically you and your family. I cannot really explain or describe our appreciation in this card. Words don't seem enough. You have touched my life in more ways than you can imagine. I thank you now and one day I would like Carson to thank you in person. Another couple, Bill and Angela, wrote back saying, Your gift has been a source of encouragement. Not only has it been financially uplifting, but it has sent a powerful spiritual message. Your gift will never be forgotten. May God bless you. And interestingly, the media picked this whole thing up. And it was... The news spread across, across the country. And a teacher wrote back from another part of the country. And here's what he wrote. A teacher wrote, After teaching for 31 years in public schools, I have yet to receive more than an apple on American Education Day. I congratulate you for giving part of your profits back to your employees. The government picked it up. U.S. Senator Byron Dorgan of North Dakota was so moved, he decided to make a presentation on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Here's what he said. He said, Mr. President, I would like to talk to you just briefly about two Americans I want to bring to your attention. I want to bring to, your atten to the attention of my colleagues, two heroes of mine. I never met these men. I talked with one of them on the phone the other day, a fellow named Bob Nagel. I learned about Mr. Nagel and his company in an article I read in the Minneapolis Star Tribune when I was traveling through Minneapolis the other day by plane. And then he narrated the story. And then he went on to say, what this man was saying to them was, you mattered. You people who worked in the plant and factories and helped make this product, you are the ones who made me successful. You made me some money and I want to share it with you. What a remarkable story. What a hero. It seems to me if more CEOs in this country would understand what Mr. Nagel understands, this country would be a better place. When I read this story, I just cried and I said, God, I want to be like this man. Amen. Business owners, leaders, we make money. You have a right to hold on to it. After all, you started the business. After all, you went through all the hard work and getting this up. You took the risk. You made the investment. You're right to it. 
But like Jesus, if you let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, and you say, well, I have a right to all this profit. But I choose not to hold on to it. I choose to empty myself, become a servant to my employees. You say, well, that's not in our management book. Well, that's why you're a Christian. Amen. You live by the book. The boss becomes a servant to his employees. And then with humility, you serve them. Amen. We can do that. I remember one couple of months ago I was, I was just driving by there was one morning I was driving to I was driving to the Bible college I saw one of our employees walk towards the office and I was driving to the college I was walking to the office I saw him walk and I can tell you I just the presence of God just filled the place where I was sitting I was driving the car just filled the presence of God I began to cry and I said God I see that young man walking I want to make him rich. Give me the grace, the ability, God, to bring wealth into his life. So one day he can drive a car. One day he can be successful and prosperous. Give me the ability to do that. So you ask me, why are you in business? Because I want to do this. I want to make others rich. Amen. I believe God will help me do that. but that's not the way you run business I know that's not the way the world runs business but the kingdom of God is different let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus though he could hold on to something he wanted to he said God I'll become a servant to those who don't deserve I'll be a servant to them and I will provide works of service to them Amen. I call this sowing seeds of service. I'm getting ready to finish. It's probably going to be an hour and 15 minutes. It's okay. I call this sowing seeds of service because a seed produces. Every seed of service that you sow, whether it's young people, whether it's you do it for your parents at home, or whether you do it for the church, or whether you do it for adults, I want you to know that God will not forget it. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, the tenth verse. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews 6.10. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Hebrews 6 and verse 10 says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have sown towards His name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister it says God will not forget your works of service what you do for in his name towards his people amen God will not forget your works of service he will remember to reward you he will not forget 
That's why I call it seeds of service because when you humble yourself and sow seeds of service, God in heaven will reward you. Now, you don't do it just because of that, but that's an encouragement for you to do so. Amen? It encourages you. Yes, let me serve. Let me give up my rights. Become a servant. So seeds of service because I know that one day God will reward me. He will not forget my work of love and the service that I show in His name towards His people or whoever. He will not forget it. And the Bible says that if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you in due time. There's your due, due time coming when He will lift you up because you have decided to be a servant. Amen. I want to close with James 1 verse 26, 27. You know, I believe that our Christianity should be very practical. If you believe that, say amen. You know, there's no point in just learning all this theology and getting all this knowledge because, you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, it says, knowledge puffs up, puffs up. Meaning knowledge just makes your head bigger. Get big-headed. More knowledge. Look at this revelation I got. And look at that. And look at that. Knowledge puffs up. Our theology only tends us to tends us to tends to make us big-headed. But I think our faith in God should go past knowledge. And knowledge is very important. We must have knowledge. We must know God. We must know His Word. We must know. But our our knowing of God should then translate into some action. It should translate into something you do. James 1:27. James writes. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To understand every revelation. To understand the Hebrew and the Greek. And to be able to exegete the word of God accurately, absolutely, thoroughly and perfectly. He didn't say that. He said pure and undefiled religion before God is this. To visit the fatherless. The orphans. The homeless. And to live a pure life before God. Amen. In other words, my Christianity should translate into works of service. Amen. There's no point in saying, I read the Bible, I know the Hebrew, the Greek, my doctrine is 100% pure, unadulterated. But I have no works of service. What are you doing? Are you serving? Are you going out and reaching somebody, doing something to serve on you being a servant. Because that's what our faith is all about. And James writes later on in chapter 2, he says, verse 14, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith serve him? Save him. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled and, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If my faith in God doesn't translate into me being a servant and doing works of service, then my faith in God has lost its life. It's a dead faith. Amen. Let's stand up to our feet. One of the greatest messages I call the worship team up, listen. As you stand here in the presence of God, I want to challenge you. Challenge me. One of the greatest messages of the incarnation is found right here in this passage in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, which we just read. 
It's a message of incarnation. God is challenging you and me saying, Hey, if the God of glory could do something like this, you and I can do it. That we can let the same attitude be in us. That we don't have to hold on to things. Hold on to positions or titles or rights. But instead say, okay, 